coming to a close in this series that we've been calling Setting Life in Order. And what we've been doing is we've been taking a look at a time in history when God was making big changes in the world and looking at the principles and the things that he did to make changes in the world, to set the world up for something big and massive and wondering if in the new year I wanted to make changes in my life, what principles could I take from what God was doing and apply to my life? And this morning is actually is actually like really, really difficult to show you what I want to show you. I want to show you something that I think is going to maybe make Christmas have just a little bit more, like as if it needed any more, but had a little bit more specialness to it and what God was doing at that time. But, but in order to show you, I'm going to have to lead you on a little bit of a journey. But the journey actually starts with a fight. Has anybody ever been in like conflict, like serious conflict? All right, we got some, some middle school conflict. Um, like, has anybody, like, can you remember a, a real conflict? Didn't have to necessarily be physical, but you were just, somebody was coming at you. And, and accusing you and, and just trying to make sure that no matter what happened, like you were gonna, you were gonna get taken apart. Like, has anybody ever felt that way? A couple. Has anybody felt that way this week? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, we're gonna begin where we left off last week. And, and, and before we do that, I'm gonna pause and pray because we need that. So let's pause. God, you're good, and you are the one that's in control. You're the one who's victorious over death and the grave, and Lord, <clears throat> you've won all of our most challenging spiritual battles, Lord. So God, this morning as we take small glimpses at that and small glimpses at how you work your story out, Lord, I pray that you would cut to our hearts, that you would show us ways that you want to mold and shape us, not that we would try to work harder to be better. But God, we'd have a greater trust of you and the work that you're doing in us. Would you lead us? It's in your name we pray. Amen. So would you open with me um, to the end of what we, we talked about last week? We're going to be in Luke chapter 3. I'm going to begin in verse 21. Luke chapter 3, 21. If you'd like to follow along in the Blue Bible, it's on page 1071. Luke chapter 3, and I'm going to begin in 21. Remember, we focused in last week on a figure who uh, called people snakes and camped out by the river. His name was John the Baptizer, and he was there to prepare the way for the Lord. And in Luke chapter 3, in verse 21, it says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli. So I'll stop, I'm going to stop there. Because those next paragraphs is just a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of names. And I'm not going to submit you to that this morning. I invite you to do that in your own personal reading. 
But as we're opening, we, we open in on this scene where John is preaching and he's, he's baptizing people. And remember, baptism wasn't an innovation. Baptism was something that they had done as a Jewish custom um, in the mitzvahs. They regularly had ritual cleansing. What was unique about John's baptism? Do we remember? This is the test. It was for repentance, for the forgiveness of sin. So it wasn't just baptize, wash, and be clean so that you'll be ready to go into the temple to present your sacrifice. It was baptize as a, as a physical symbol of the spiritual truth that I've repented of my sins and, and, been, and been cleansed. It's, it's a baptism of repentance. So who shows up to John's baptism? Jesus. And what does he do? He gets baptized. If John's preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and what we believe about Jesus is that he was sinless, what is happening here? I don't have a good answer for you. I mean, I have, I have suspicions, and I have, I have things that, that I get really excited about, but I'm not really going to parse all that out. I just say this, I pose this question to you, so that you will go and get, God, what are you doing here? What is happening at this moment in history that this would occur? What does it mean that Jesus was baptizing? And what, is that, what does that mean? Um, and I just invite you, like, it's a fascinating question, and, 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 and you will learn so much of God's word by trying to answer it. So I'm just going to leave that there for you later to chew on. But what I want you to see is that what happens when Jesus is baptized, there's a mark that gets placed. God, God's voice comes down from heaven and, and audibly says, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And we don't realize it, but he's just painted a target on the back of Jesus. Why would I say that? Well, Jesus is 30 years old, and then lists off his whole family. He's a real person born into a real family. But what happens in chapter 4, verse 1? What's the very next thing that happens in chapter 4, verse 1? Read with me. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from there, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from them until an opportune time. There's something that happens at Jesus' baptism that opens him up to this spiritual attack. He, he, goes, he goes from this, this, public, this public declaration of, 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 of I'm going, I've been, the way has been prepared for my message. 
and now the time has come for me to begin to share my message with you. He made it to 30 years old before the devil knew who he was. Just think about it. Who are the, some of the most vulnerable people in society? Hmm? Children, young people, teenagers. <laughs> what about what about his, his economic status? Like, he wasn't just a kid; he was a poor kid, working class family. Like, who are who are the most like the most at risk people? Are those people? And Jesus was that, and yet he makes it to thirty years of age before before the enemy like gets a bead on which one is it. So what I'd like to do, this is the challenge. I'm going to need you to go with me this morning. We're going to do a flashback. We're going to get in our way back machine. We're going to go back a couple chapters and see what was going on and try to get some perspective on what was happening, okay? And we're going to look at a story that you're probably familiar with, but, but we're out of season. This is, not, this is not time for Christmas stories, but we're going to look at a Christmas story. And my hope is that by looking at a Christmas story out of season, we'll see something deeper that we normally miss because of, of the feelings that we have at the time we normally look at it, okay? Are we good? So let's get in the, in the Wayback Machine. We're going to do a flashback. And we're going back where? Oh, sorry. We're going back to the shepherds. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear, a great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We're familiar with this passage. And I, I submitted when we talked about it a few weeks ago um, that we should, we should highlight the fact that this is, this is a host of angels. Host is a key word for it's an army. And so these are, these are battle-hardened battle warrior angels who show up to make this declaration to the shepherds. They see the end of the war is, is, is so close that they want to declare, like, it's coming. The good news is here, and the peace of God is going to reign on earth. Like, we fought long and hard, but I wonder if this wasn't some kind of a security detail. There were, um, it's been a number of months ago now, but I had the privilege um, to preach for um, my, my brother-in-law and his wife. And they, they come, they have a, a varied religious background, and it was intimidating to, to be, to share with them the good news that they had never, maybe never heard before in, in a asked them, I followed up with them at, at lunch, I said, so what, what is it that you were thinking? And she said to me, she said, it had never occurred to me that relationship issues or, or anything that I face in like my normal life 
could have a spiritual cause. It never occurred to me that the things that, that, I, that I am faced with on, on the day-to-day has a spiritual cause. And, and I think, by and large, we, we, we tend to live our lives under that mask. We think, okay, like, I just have to deal with paying the bills, or I just have to deal with that crazy neighbor, or I just have to deal with my kids. And, you know, we, we think about what are the tangible things I have to deal with, and we don't consider that maybe there's something spiritual going on behind the curtain. And so what I want to, for us to consider this morning is that while we have focused in on the spirit or the, on the physical truth that Jesus was born as a man to, to a, a, a poor couple in order to, to like live a life and grow up, but that there was some kind of spiritual conflict that was happening in the background. That the, that the army of angels isn't just showing up to sing us a pretty song, but that they were there on security detail to keep secret what was happening. Because Jesus is born vulnerable. And yet he's protected. And so I'm going to give you our big idea this morning right now so that we don't lose sight of it. Our life is ultimately set in order. Our life is ultimately set in order under our Father's watchful. So as we think about the things that we face or we think about the things that we want to change in our lives or the things that God is leading us to change in our lives, I need us to understand that it's not just the physical things, the tangible things that we are doing, but that there is a spiritual conflict that's happening. And we need not be afraid of the spiritual conflict because our life is ultimately set in order under our Father's watchful care. And what's fascinating to me about this story is that it seems like Jesus' identity at the time when he was born is absolutely clear to some people and completely hidden from others. The shepherds got it. Mary understood. John the baptizer in his mother's womb had had an inkling. And there were others, too. If, you, if we were to continue to read through Luke 2, as 40 days after Jesus was born, they take him to the temple for the cleansing. He's, he's been circumcised, and now they're going to give him the name and all of those things. They're in the temple. They're being good Jews. They're doing all of the things that they're supposed to do. And as they're walking through the temple, I don't know if you've had kids, if you've ever had this experience. They're walking through the temple, and this old guy comes out of nowhere and just picks the kid up. <clears throat> Usually it's like a grandparent thing that'll come and just grab the kid from you. But sometimes it's strangers, and that's uncomfortable. And they're going through, they're doing their thing, their religious duty to try and to, to do the purity. And this guy shows up and he, and he picks up the child. He says, God, I'll, I'll read what he says. <laughs> Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Okay, this guy's crazy. He's talking about dying now. He's holding my child and he's talking about dying. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So he's going through the temple and, 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 and this man named Simeon sees him and the light goes on. Simeon had a special relationship with God and, he, and God had told him, and I'm not sure exactly the mechanics of how this worked, but God had told him that, Simeon, before you die, you will see the Messiah. And so day after day, he was in the temple. Constantly, he was setting himself apart to worship God. And as he did so, years accumulated. Weeks, 
months, years, decades. He's an older, an older, an older man waiting. And he sees a young couple come into the temple. Just another day like any other. But when he sees the child, he knows this is the one. And he can't help but say, Jesus' identity was clear to Simeon. And the rest of chapter 2, it says there was another prophetess who had the same type of thing, that she also was praising God for the, for the salvation that he had provided. Jesus' true identity is revealed to some, but not all. We studied in, in December the wise men. The wise men understood the star, but Herod had no idea. The enemy knew something was happening and they didn't know what it was or how to address it. It just makes me wonder, would, would we recognize God if he showed up in our neighborhood? Like it, it reminds me of a 90s song, but that's not really exactly the point that I want to make. But would we recognize God if he showed up in our neighborhood? Or am I so focused on, on, on what I'm doing and the things that are important to me that, that it wouldn't even occur to me? Setting life in order won't make my life about me. A life truly set in order is centered on Christ. So would I recognize him if he showed up in my neighborhood? The next story we have about Jesus' youth is, is, is that story of them traveling to Jerusalem that we talked about with Kid Nathan. And, and it was a road trip, and there was a, a big family group that went together. I don't know if you've been traveling with my family mostly, but it's pretty easy, pretty easy to lose a child or two like as you're going through a crowd and things like that. And, and the same thing happened. They had a whole, a whole family crew was going up to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices and to, to, to do the Passover thing. And as they were going home, they get halfway home and they realize, oh, Jesus didn't come back with us. Usually it's Grant for us. Like, he's the one that gets lost. <clears throat> but, but for Mary and Joseph, it was Jesus. And so they're, you know, concerned, you know, where is he? <clears throat> That's for me, sorry. And as, they're, as they run back into the city, they're looking all over and they, and they, and they go to the temple and, the, and they're going to, I guess they're going to ask for help. And as they go to the temple, they see, like, Oh, there he is, our, our preteen, 12-year-old, sitting with the scribes and the Pharisees, asking them questions that they don't know how to answer. <laughs> and I'd encourage you to read that, that, that passage this week because there's, there's such an interesting change in Mary and Joseph between the beginning of chapter 2 and the end of when the angel shows up to Mary and says, you're going to have, you're going to give birth to a baby even though you've never been sexually active, she says, God can do whatever he wants to do on this day. And at the end of it, Jesus is saying to you, don't you know I need to be in my father's house? And what are you talking about, boy? I'll take you back to your father's house. I'll show you what to do. Because she has to raise a preteen. And I think we can empathize with that a little bit, right? 
And there's times where we can get so caught up in the details of the things that's been entrusted to us that we forget the purpose of the mission. And I think maybe by the end of chapter 2, Mary had lost sight of, like, no, this child is a blessing. He's been appointed for something different. And she's just like, I can't, I'm going to pull my hair out. Jesus, I've got gray here. But even in that instance, where he's left in a big city by himself, like, God's watching out for him. Our lives are ultimately set in order under our Father's watchful care. And so I'm going to jump back into chapter 4, and we're actually going to talk through it. In chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, and he returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Um, Jesus was precisely where he was meant to be, led by the Spirit of God, and was led into conflict. There's times where I get into situations and go, God, why is this happening to me? Why why are these people so angry all the time? I don't understand why they can't just understand what I'm trying to do here. Don't they get it? I care about them. I love them, and they just make it more and more difficult. And sometimes when we follow God, God leads us into conflict. Because that's what we're supposed to do at this time. So the temptation, the big temptation of Jesus, which lasted for 40 days, and the, and the three parts of conversation that we have from this, like this is over the course of 40 days, more than a month of not eating. He's hungry. He's hangry. And, and that's usually when like the conflict happens in my house. I'm hangry, and like people ask me to do stuff, and I'm like, ah, nah, 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 nah. but Jesus is in the in the wilderness, and he's, and he's tempted by the devil. But I don't don't miss the fact that he's where he's supposed to be, led by the Spirit of God in the conflict. Conflict is not sin. The struggle is not sin. Hard conversations are not sin. But how we approach them can determine whether or not we sin in them. When those 40 days were ended, he was hungry. Sometimes the Bible's pretty clear. <laughs> the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. <laughs> you think you're so high and mighty. You've got, you've got all the riches of the world at your disposal, and you are a master of, you created this rock, and you can alchemically change it from from something inedible to something edible. Like, if you're the son of God, just do it. It's nothing to you. No, you, you misunderstand. I don't have to prove myself to you. There is no question about whether or not I am the son of God. And you deserve no sign from me on this point. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. I have the things that I need. Though I want for bread, and I'm on my way to bread, it is not yet the time to take or make it for myself. <clears throat> and, he, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And, so, and, and this is like, just think about what is the—I don't know if they're flying. I don't know if they're 
zapped out of the space-time continuum and looking at all of everything that happens in world history at the same time. There's something really crazy coming on, but it's, it's all in one sentence. He takes them up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, I will give you all of this for all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Like I've got, I've got, I've got command of this thing right now. I'm steering the ship, don't you know? <laughs> well, I've read the end of the book, and it is written, "You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve." I'm not, I don't owe you anything, and I, I don't need anything from you. This is. It's probably too strong of a say, statement to say advertising and marketing is the devil. <clears throat> but they're built on this same principle. You don't have everything you need, so buy a little more. And that's exactly what he did. Look, like, you, yeah, you think the Father's going to set you up with an eternal kingdom, blah, 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 blah. I'll give you all these right now. Just bow to me. You don't have enough. Just get a little bit more. Or you can just get it a little bit faster. I'll do it for you right now. We can, we can, we can turn this thing upside down. You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only. And he took him up to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, which is a really, really high wall. Like I'm astonished at, at how big it is. Um, hundreds of feet. You feel really small at the bottom. And it's only half there, right? up from a high point. He says, all right, if you're the son of God, if, if this is all true, then throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Haven't you read the Bible, Jesus? Don't you know that if you're the son of God, that the angels of God are going to protect you from all harm, and you're never going to have any stubbed toes, and you're never going to have any bruised knees, and life is just going to be perfect for you? If you're the son of God, just throw yourself off, because God can't let you get hurt. Don't you know you're invincible if you're in the center of the will of God? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus? Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. I could spend all day here. Like, there's so much here, and, and, and I, don't, I want to be respectful of your time. And I feel like we've hit on a, on a couple of different things that are really, really important. Notice, though, that the enemy uses the word fear. The enemy quotes scripture to Jesus and says, don't you know these passages? And so th there is work that needs to be done. There's wisdom that we need from God in order to be able to understand how the scripture is accurately applied. So I say this for myself first. If you are, are, if you sit under my preaching, you sit under my teaching, just because I've said it and just because I said a Bible verse before I said the thing doesn't mean the thing I said was right. Like, y'all be in prayer about the things that I'm preaching. Y'all be in prayer about the things that I'm teaching. And, and, and everything, not every scripture verse that shows up on Facebook is meant to be used in the manner that it is. The Holy Spirit has, has almost broken these fingers sometimes to keep me from responding to how people misuse the word. But don't be deceived. Satan knows what's in it. 
and he's going to try and bend it to, for you to apply it in ways that it wasn't meant to be. So the question is, will we lean on the Spirit of God as we seek to apply the Word of God? Will we, will we hear the Spirit of the Word and not necessarily the letter of the Word? This is why this is one of the reasons why our core value is, is, is phrased as divine wisdom. It's, it's the Word of God, but applied by the Spirit of God. It's not enough to know that the Bible says X, Y, Z if we're using X, Y, Z to apply it in a manner that's opposite of the Spirit. And it's a big, big conversation that we could spend and will spend our whole lives trying to dissect. But I need you to be aware that it's here, too. And, and that's why I think it's significant. That's one of the reasons why I think it's significant. That as we seek to understand how to set our lives in order, we need to understand that our life is ultimately set in order under our Father's watchful care. We're not alone in the things that He wants us to lead in. We're not alone in the things, the steps that He wants us to take. We're not alone in reading His Word. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we do need You. I know for myself there's times where I've known just enough of your word to be really, really dangerous to people. And so, God, I pray that you would mark us with your grace, that, that your truth would be on our lips expressed from your heart of love. And I pray that as, as we face different conflicts and different difficult conversations that you would remind us that our enemy is not flesh and blood. The person sitting across the table from us is not the enemy. But that there's more happening behind the curtain than what we can see. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the comfort that that realization is not supposed to be overwhelming though it is humbling. Because you are watching over us. If you can keep the details of the biggest thing to happen in history, the identity of the Messiah, secret from the one entity in creation that wanted it more than anything so he could destroy it, can't we trust you 